Hi, and welcome to Spilling Chai. I'm your host, Anusha Hussain. You may know me as the Bangladeshi American cable news commentator who debates toxic masculinity on Fox News with Tucker Carlson. Or maybe you've read my articles on CNN about toxic white supremacy. While I may be a pro at giving my opinion and analysis on the headlines, something you don't get to hear me do as much is ask the questions and talk about something other than the news. And that's what I'm all about doing right now, because seriously, between coronavirus, climate change, and Italy being on lockdown, my Persian cats and I need a detox from the outrage. This podcast, Billing Chai, is about conversations. I want to feel inspired. And radio is such a great medium to have really in-depth conversations and to take the time to have them. In this show, I'm going to be talking to brilliant writers, passionate activists, and amazing artists. And I want you to join us. This podcast is also a PSA on behalf of all brown people that in most of Asia and the Middle East, chai is not a latte. Instead, it's the best kind of tea. And on this podcast, we are all about spilling it. So pour your cup and sit down with us. Today in D.C., it's one of those gray, rainy, early spring days when all you want to do is day drink with your best friend. Who can blame you? Who can blame me? Well, lucky for you, one of my absolute favorite people in the world is also one of the most talented writers and radio producers I know. I am talking about Bilal Qureshi. He works in Washington as a journalist for NPR, and he's also a culture writer. His work has been published in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, but probably his most amazing accomplishment is the fact that he went to UVA with me. (laughs) He graduated with high distinction from the University of Virginia and received a master's degree in broadcast journalism from Columbia, which is amazing. But really, in the midst of all of this, the relationship that we have created is something. Bilal, why is that not at the top of your resume? Okay, Anusha, hi. Welcome to uh, my... Oh, welcome to you. Welcome to me. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to my house where we're recording this today. Um, your inaugural episode to get to day drink with you, to, to get to day drink with you here is an honor. And um, yeah, you know, our friendship is at the top line of my resume. So so uh, thank you for the reminder. Yeah, no, it has to be. You need to move it to the top line of your resume. Bilal and I, uh, two South Asians who met in Charlottesville, Virginia, where it's at in the late 1990s. Before the white supremacists took over and we had Nazi rallies. But yes, exactly. We did meet in Charlottesville, that most, you know, now iconic of cities. Before the white supremacists, you know, directly associated it with, well, them and their cause. Um, so ever since I have known you, you have always had an ear for radio. I mean, you were talking about radio at a time when, you know, online media was really exploding. Um, you always had an ear for it. So how did this love affair begin? Well, you know, I, for me, the first time I heard NPR or examples of like radio broadcasting for many of us before the age of way before the age of podcasting, like I first discovered it through my dad, like a lot of lazy parents, he was listening to it on the drives to school. And it sounded so different from like CNN and other things that we we had because there was a lot of international news on NPR. And for me, I think growing up in Virginia, where I grew up, there were so few examples of stories about other places. And radio is a very intimate medium. And it's also a medium where you really get to hear other people's voices. That's actually the premise of the medium. And I could hear voices of people from Pakistan, from other countries, from the Middle East, in some of these stories. And so that really sparked an interest. And then when I was at 
at an undergrad, I actually found like great series to listen to as part of classes that I was taking. It was different from TV news, you know, there was more substance, frankly. And that kind of, I think, uh, created that interest. You know, when we were in class at UVA, because this is another thing that Bilal and I share is kind of our love and obsession with post-colonial literary identity, (laughs) post-colonial history, uh, British Raj and what have you. And we took so many classes together that I actually accidentally ended up doing a minor in Asian history. But Throughout the years, I've seen you do some amazing stories. I mean, from interviewing Arundhati Roy to interviewing Deepika Padukone, your Bollywood heroine icon. Um, but what are some of the your most favorite stories that you have gotten to work at at NPR? Yeah, I mean, it's been a great honor to get to talk to you. And, and like you said in your beautiful introduction, you know, I think radio is really a medium for conversations. And I think... To me, a lot of times what people may hear on the air are just about five, six minutes or something, but you've had a chance usually to have a long conversation with somebody before that. So for me, the really memorable interviews involve famous people like what you've mentioned, the Pika Padukone being one of them, which when I was living in Delhi, I had the chance to talk to her, and that was a moment that still got me shook. Um, <laughs> I know you're not over it, Bilal. He's trying to act so cool. He's obsessed. We have this ongoing rivalry, actually, about who we should love more. Priyanka Chopra or Deepika? I can't even believe this is a conversation that we're. It that really we can- offends Bilal when I bring this up. <laughs> it's like a non no contest situation. But the the other you know people that I've interviewed that have really stayed with me include um, Pedro Almodovar, who's one of my great icons. I love film and cinema, and I've always loved his films, and that was a wonderful experience. But then also some of the most memorable things for me have been things that don't involve so-called famous people. Um, After the attacks in Paris at Charlie Hebdo, which you may recall was this attack on this news organization by kind of in the age of when ISIS attacks were really on the rise in Europe, we did a huge series on the young generation of European Muslims, French Muslims, German Muslims, and British Muslims, who kind of are really that generation that's finding out who they are and they struggle with the white supremacy in their countries, but they also are Europeans and and finding out who they are as hyphenated people. America has a much more evolved relationship with hyphenation than I think countries like Germany or France, frankly, is a very problematic country in this regard. But for that series, we got to go and travel through Europe and I got to speak to a lot of young, everyday people. And I found that to be, those are some of the conversations that have really stayed with me about how complicated belonging really is how complicated identity is. I mean, we can have a whole podcast just about that. That is also something you and I really share is our passion. And a big part of our friendship, I feel like a theme of our friendship has really been about articulating our own identity, immigrants, Muslims, Americans, feminists. I mean, it goes on and on. Yeah, exactly. And I I think um, the reason I think I've become really interested in the arts in in recent years, a lot of my writing has been about the arts is because I think artists are often at the forefront of identity conversations because they are often piecing together new ways of seeing identity and new ways of being ourselves. And I think artists being very sensitive usually are often really thoughtful about these kinds of topics. So for me, in what you've just described, being young people who've been friends, also we went to college during 9-11. You know, I think that being college students at that time, really coming of age in this era, um, for me, I listened to the news, but I really found refuge in the story of artists and in how artists of backgrounds like ours, artists who are African and French or artists who are women and queer, kind of take these, I don't know, take these fractures in themselves and make something beautiful out of it. 
Oh, I love that. God, I love you. This is why we're friends. So initially when everybody was jumping on the podcast bandwagon, you were so irritated. You were just like, why is everyone making a podcast? I'm so not feeling this. And I was always like, what is a podcast? (laughs) But here we are a few years later, and you are now a guest on my podcast. (laughs) Tell me about you played such an instrumental role in kind of coming up with the concept of spilling chai and how you and I kind of crave uh, not necessarily just diverse voices, but diverse perspectives. So tell me tell me what really made you inspired to um, create a podcast like this. Well, it's been an honor to be a, your first guest and to get to have some of these early conversations with you about what your show is going to be and how you want to frame it. I guess the thing is another identity that perhaps I struggle with is I... <laughs> You know, you mentioned I went to the Columbia Journalism School, but I also went to school now more than a decade ago, still the age of old media in a way, because I was in in university for journalism and graduate school before the smartphone came out to date myself a little bit. And, you know, now we think of it as such a passe thing, but the iPhone was released in the fall of 2007, and I went to journalism school between 2006 and 2007. And so this was an age when you were still writing articles with newspaper kind of mentality and... You know, we had really tough journalism professors who demanded a lot of us. And I also worked at NPR before, you know, the age of the podcast when everybody was able to create. Because now it's incredible. You know, you can edit a podcast on your computer. There's much cheaper microphone technology available. That wasn't the case as much then. I guess I find my own identity fractured a little bit between having that old old media training and being very much a person who connects with the spirit of new media, with the democracy that's happened in journalism. More people are, are having their shows. Like, I'm so excited that you have your show. I guess where I find that identity creates tension for me. It's not that I'm mad at people having podcasts because I'm all for people having a chance to tell their story, but I do think some of the skill and craft and consideration that goes into any medium is something people should take a little bit more time with because I think one of the great things I learned, and I wonder how you feel about this as a writer too, is that you know editing is important, thinking about your ideas beforehand is important, doing some planning is important beforehand, and simple things like technical things are really important too. So I, I just wish that as people pursue these things, there you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like you can listen to some of the like older stuff that helped shape this medium, some of the the basic skills that I think come from people who've been working in it for a while. And that can just further help you make your point more clearly. And I guess that's my thing is that sometimes there's a trend and everybody is in it. But I feel that with anything, it's good to try to like do a little bit of homework beforehand, if that makes any sense. It makes me sound a little uncle-like, but I, I do find myself a little bit at the edge of uncle and super rah-rah for the, the new voices. Oh, you're not an uncle. Maybe you're an uncle to my two little girls. <laughs> no, I think it's just the brown in us always wanting to be prepared, <laughs> doing our homework. By the way, people, that is good advice for everybody. Do your homework and be prepared. I know what you mean. It's so fast. Online media is so fast that sometimes the work gets, um, the work is not good. It's messy and you can hear it and you can feel it. Uh, it's always tangible when it's not your your best work. Um a big part of, of going to college with you uh, back in the day was talking about our dreams. And I think when we were talking about wanting to be published writers, I mean, back then in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I mean, who did we really have to look up to um, that kind of spoke to us was this genre that was being created about the immigrant experience and really, you know, writers like Jhumpa Lahiri, Arundhati Roy, because, I mean, 
for so many of us, that's really just who we had, Salman Rushdie, like the really big names. So I think when we were growing up, <laughs> growing up in college, um, I really... I had this idea that to be published in mainstream, I didn't know it was an option for us to be published in mainstream American uh, platforms and American media. If you had told, I think, either one of us that we were going to have bylines at NPR, CNN, Forbes, uh, Washington Post. I mean, sometimes I want to fangirl over Bilal and then I have to remember, he's my BFF. I can still fangirl though. Um, but what is the advice that you would give? I don't want to say to other brown writers out there, but to the young us, you know? I mean, because I'm still young, but you're not. <laughs> no, but to the younger Nushin Bilal about um, getting your stuff published and getting yourself out there, getting your work out there and not compromising who you are because it's really hard. Well, you know, I mean, you've mentioned now these names and, and these organizations that we've written for. I, I try not to kind of now, I think, fixate on that as much because I feel like um, careers are very unpredictable and circuitous and sometimes opportunities happen that you can't plan for. I think the thing that I, I totally agree with you. I mean, when we were younger, I feel like there were a couple of examples and these were people with, you know, not all of us are also geniuses. Not all of us are Arundhati Roy. And not we're not? No, we're not. And frankly, like, I still feel sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, when I read like a sentence by somebody incredible, like yeah. Arunthati Roy or whatever, I feel like I should just like roll it up and like call it a day <laughs> because it's just, just day drink professionally. <laughs> like, it's just not worth it. Like, I don't even know why I am even trying to like phrase a sentence when it's like you're so humbled. But that's yeah. not the point. I think the problem is that we each have a different story to tell. We each have a different life experience. And I think for me, the more important um, lesson that I wish a younger version of me knew or other people knew is not to be so restless, not to be so impatient. I, I say that because I feel like you never know what you're going to learn from just whatever you do, you know? I mean, live life. And I think the best writing is the writing that comes out of somebody's life experiences and experiences of the world. I also think that we obsess with success as, as at a young an age as you can. And I think some of the best writers, I mean, you know, one of my favorite stories that somebody said to me once was like, Toni Morrison, for example, was an editor for many, many years. She did not write her first book until she was in her 40s. And that is also like important to remember because I think that there's a real sense that like there's always an article like 23 year old makes a movie or 25 year old like has like a, a bestseller. And I think we grow up in a culture that really celebrates that. And I think the work that comes from just living life, reading a lot. And I think the best writing is really the writing that comes from your own experiences. And those are, I don't know, just living more fully, I suppose, is something, and without impatience and restlessness. And when you have a story to tell and you have the language for it because you've been reading, you've been trying to just you know, stay alive to the world, then, you'll, then the platforms will come. Then the, the place will publish you, I feel, because I, I don't mean to sound super new agey, but I just feel like when you've got something to say and you have so much to say and there are people hungry to hear it. And I think because you have something to say now, not just because you want to be on CNN, if that makes any sense. You really hit it on the head because it's about content and the quality of your work at the end of the day and not speed. I want to bring this back to a writer that I think gives me imposter syndrome just when I hear his name. But he's been a really big name in our relationship, and that's Salman Rushdie. And not only because I'm obsessed with his ex-wife, Padma Lakshmi, 
Uh, but because he has, I mean, Midnight's Children, Shame, The Ground Beneath Her Feet, all these novels. I mean, he really just was. He still is an icon. But I think for like young South Asian writers coming of age, growing up, you know, being college students. And then a couple of years ago, you got to interview Salman Rushdie. I mean, just to quickly give you some background on what big fans we are of Salman Rushdie, we had a project one time, I think it was in our post-colonial literary theory class, and uh, Bilal actually was Salman Rushdie, and I was Arundhita Roy. We made like a little play. We totally got an A-plus on this project, (laughs) and it was amazing. But years later... Bilal was interviewing Salman Rushdie at the National Book Festival, and my pregnant ass went to go see him <laughs> speak, and I didn't know who to fan. I didn't know if I should sit on Bilal's lap or if I should sit on Salman Rushdie's lap. Anusha, I have to like really just push back here. I think you're being like way too generous in general, but I, dramatic, I, 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 dramatic <laughs> which is also part of Anusha's chai and why her chai is so sort of gingery. Um, I, I just think the bigger issue is that. You're right. I mean, these are heroes that we had, you know, and, and, and I think it is really humbling to get to like talk to them. But I also think I, I think one of the things that's really cool right now is that for the generation coming of age today and even for people like us, there's a new series of icons emerging, you know, new a new class like, you know, there was new say kids on the block, new icons on the block. Yeah, you know, definitely. I think that, you know, people like like someone who sees now, you know, I mean. Midnight Children was published in the early to mid 80s. And I think that it's also like about, you know, a certain time in South Asian history. And and a lot has happened since that book, too, in the world. I also think like, not to harp too much on it, but the world we live in is a really different one. And every generation needs writers that can reflect that generation's questions. I mean, you know, we also have come of age in the era of Barack Obama and the question of race and 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 politics we've also come of age with this refugee crisis that's been happening and the whole new conversation on gender and sexuality which you know in some ways these writers were not handling because they were not as central to their time and their work Rusty was writing about decolonization we're now almost 70 plus years beyond that so i think that new times require new voices and i f- i love Still, of course, Rushdie and the elders who we fangirled and boyed over at one point. But I do think I'm also excited by reading some of the really great writers now who are younger people, who are not only younger, but who I think are sometimes more honestly talking about things like sexism, you know, um, misogyny and sexism, Think you know, things that like who also within India, like who gets to write classism in our countries and and our societies. And I think here, you know, I'm thinking about people that have emerged since, whether it's Juno Diaz, whether it's Jasmine Ward, whether it's other young filmmakers like Barry Jenkins, or um, even Rami Youssef with his amazing show on Hulu, Rami, which I love as a kind of coming of age Muslim American thing. I think that there are quite a few new people that I now find myself also really in admiration of and crushing on. That's so true. Thanks for aging us and Salman Rushdie, but (laughs) point made, you're right. Um, So what are you working on now? I think kind of giving the trajectory to to our listeners. What are you, what is exciting you? What's making you want to spill the chai? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm working like you on a book project and a longer project that I want to write about my own family's immigrant story in this country. And 
and my own kind of story, connecting it to sort of this generation that we've talked about, you know, going to college in the early 2000s, being in university, being um, 18 when 9-11 happened, and thinking about how that shaped kind of my own 20s and early 30s. And to your point, I think, like, really taking part in this moment that is very inspiring, where I think young people, people of color, queer people are telling their story. You know, not wanting to see their story in other people, but to share their own. And I, I think for me, this project is a personal book, but it's also about Western Muslim identity, which I think is a big question of our time. And I, you know, I think one of the best advices on writing is that uh, write the book that you wish you could be reading and or, or write the essay that you wish you could be reading. Sometimes I think that's the best thing is not to sort of look at other people that have written things and admire them, but say, hey, you know what, I'm feeling something right now. And you know, maybe somebody else will find that interesting too. And like I said, I try not to think so much about how successful it will be or who will publish it, because if you do that, I think you sometimes psych yourself out of, of just doing the work. Oh, totally. Gosh, can I get psych yourself out tattooed on my forehead? So this was so much fun, Bilal. Oh my goodness. My, the, the best ideal guest and the best uh, friend that really anybody could ask for. Um, this was so fun. I can't wait to spill tea with you guys again. If you enjoyed this episode, the inaugural episode of Spilling Chai with the new Shay and Friends, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And until next time, let's keep brewing the chai. Chai.